0: Morning, welcome to Desert Hills Baptist Church. This morning to our 1030 service, we have some exciting news to share with you today. Um, uh, Every about six weeks to eight weeks or so, we have a membership class, and every six weeks to eight weeks, I think every five weeks, four weeks, we have a starting point class. And our starting point is kind of an introduction Uh, to who we are as a church and just some general information and then our membership class is a little bit more I guess personal information our statement of faith is shared we talk about what it means to be a church member and so on and we had uh, um, I don't know more than a dozen people that uh, went to our membership class this past sunday and a couple of them we announced in the first service that we coming to desert hills um, for membership they have been saved they have been scripturally baptized by immersion after salvation they align align with our statement of faith and want to become a member joining this morning there's 15 on my list if i call your name if you just raise your hand so we know who you are and the rest of the desert hills family if you see these folks uh, make sure you shake their hand and thank them and welcome them to the congregation of desert hills ed and sylvia jones right over here, Uh, 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 Lisa, we'll we'll clap for everybody, that wasn't a weak clap, they didn't know, so we'll clap for everybody at the end, okay, Ed and Sylvia, All right, Uh, Lisa, Alexandra, and Haley Van Appeldorn, Uh, okay, there they are, Uh, Hannah, Fouché, did she make it today, okay, she's coming, Uh, John and Ronna Crocker, um, they're right over here, uh, Jake Gaston Jake um, I thought I saw Jake here Jake go over here this way um, uh, Christian Latinsky right over here and Aaron Kimball Aaron Kimball all these are coming to unite with Desert Hills in membership today let's give them a hand this morning. all right welcome to Desert Hills. We're grateful for you to be a part of our church family and excited about all the things that we have to look forward to if you haven't yet signed up to serve for Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday morning. We are going to have quite the weekend with the Epic Egg Hunt on Saturday at I think nine or 10 a.m. Don't ask me for the details, I just work here. So, uh, uh, but uh, the Epic Egg Hunt and then we have the two morning uh, sunrise services at Verado at six at Sundance. Uh, We had over 200 people at our Sundance uh, sunrise service last year. And I'm sure we'll have at least that this year as well. And then we have the three services uh, here in this building on Easter Sunday morning. I'm sure after everything is done, we're all going to take a big nap. Amen. Uh, have a nap and drink some apple juice and have some cookies or something like that. But it'll be a great time together. But I'm praying that the Lord will do some wonderful things. I'm praying that God would help people to come to the faith during that time and that people would align with our church through all of the outreach that we're doing here at Desert Hills. How many of you have seen our billboard on the freeway, our Easter billboard? Amen. What a blessing that is. And we're excited about that. And we got all kinds of other information that's going out over the next couple of weeks. We're putting flyers indoors. We're going to send out a mailing. Uh, we're trying to, every year, we try to make a big push for uh, Friend Day before Easter, plus one Sunday, and then Easter Sunday, and then in the, in the fall, we have our open house, and in the summer, we have our, our vacation Bible school. So we're grateful for these opportunities, and I hope you'll be praying for them. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to John chapter 12. We're going to take a journey over the next few weeks that will lead us to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And then we're doing this. Number one, uh, the series is called Betrayed, and we all can identify with being betrayed at some point in our life. Every one of us have gone through a betrayal. And so we're going to give you some principles on how to work your way through that. And then secondly, I believe that there are a lot of people that just don't understand What was taking place when Jesus began his earthly ministry here uh, on planet earth? There's a lot of people that just don't understand what was taking place and how it all came about that Jesus ended up being crucified. Now, uh, most of you know this name in history, but you know it for its negative connotation. But without this man, we would not have these great United States of America, In fact, he almost single-handedly won the Battle of Ticonderoga against the, the British in the American Revolutionary War. And secondly, if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have won the battle at Saratoga. And had we not won the battle at Saratoga, we probably would not have a nation today. We'd be drinking tea at noon, we'd be eating crumpets at noon, and we'd be speaking the Queen's English. But this man benedict arnold would have gone down in history along with the ethan allens the nathaniel greens the daniel greens the benjamin franklins and the george washington's because of his valor he was willing to pledge his life he pledged his fortune and he pledged his sacred honor but he was often overlooked in fact in the battle of Ticonderoga, and the battle at Sarasota, uh, he uh, was uh, the one that was really responsible for turning the tide of those battles. And generals, several other generals got credit for the victory. In fact, he surely thought he would get a promotion. He surely thought he'd be one of Washington's greatest aides, maybe his aide-de-camp, but that never happened to him. And so the seeds of betrayal... And the seeds of bitterness began to take root in Benedict Arnold's life. Back in those days, Congress had to promote you as a soldier. It wasn't the military promoting the military and understanding as they worked alongside of their fellow fellow soldiers uh, the composition and the valor and the, the, the strategic mind behind the person they're wanting to promote. It was Congress who had knowledge, no knowledge of such things for the most part. They were the ones that were responsible to promote. And because he was never promoted, the seeds of betrayal took root And Benedict Arnold is now synonymous with betrayal in the minds of every one of us. The only one more famous for betrayal is the guy we'll discuss today by the name of Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. Now, every one of us knows what it's like to be betrayed. Whether we've been betrayed in a friendship, by a business partner, in a marriage relationship, or even by a family member, we all know what it's like to have someone turn against us and to betray us. Many of us have also been on the giving side of betrayal. When I was growing up, I had a close friend by the name of Robbie. We were real close friends for about five years when I was uh, probably about fourth grade all the way through about seventh grade or so forth, uh, maybe seventh or eighth grade. And we used to ride motorcycles together. We used to ride bikes. We used to play out in the woods and build forts. We used to uh, go hunting. We'd hunt for rabbits and squirrels. And we always hunted for deer as well, but they always smelled us and they always ran away from us. And we never were very successful at that growing up in Michigan and we had great times uh, riding little icebergs in the creek when the, when the thaw would come, the hills and building all kinds of forts and climbing all kinds of trees and doing all kinds of wonderful things. But every once in a while, we got it within us to do something to cause some personal harm to one another for, for fun. And so across the street from my house, for many years, there was this vacant lot on our street and and abutted another street uh, that also had a vacant lot so you could go through both of these lots and go to the other street uh, which was about a quarter mile away. And so we made a trail to go uh, uh, shortcut through these lots so we could go over to Dorwood Street instead of on Tamarack Street. And for years and years and years, we'd ride our bikes through there. We'd ride our motorcycles through there. We'd ride our four-wheelers through there. We'd ride our three-wheelers through there. Anything that uh, we'd walk through there, we'd run through there to get to a, a shortcut to take us to Dorwood Road. And so one day, the man that owned the lot on Doorwood and had the lot that was vacant next to him decided to put up a fence. And he put a fence all across the lot, crossing where our normal trail would be. And I knew about it. And I decided to tell my friend Robbie, let's have a race. We had raced there plenty of times before. It was a a quarter of a mile to go from one lot to one road to the next road. And and we decided we were going to have a race. And and I I was going to act like I was pedaling as hard as I could. And he was going to do the same. And and so I was pedaling. We were going at it. We are racing. And right before the fence came up, I stopped because I knew there was a fence there. And he kept on going. And sure enough, he ran as fast as he could and as hard as he could. He flew over the fence onto the other side. His bike was a mangled mess on this side of the fence. And I stood over him laughing. He stood with eyes of bewilderment as if to say, how could you betray me? To which all I could say was, ha, 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 We all know what it's like to be on the giving end and the receiving end of betrayal. Now the religious establishment of Jesus' day wanted to kill him for some time. Shortly after he had healed the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath day at the beginning of his ministry, the priests were desirous to take him out. Notice what it says in Mark chapter three. It says, and he entered again into the synagogue and there was a man which had a withered hand. And they watched him whether he would heal him on the sabbath day that they might accuse him and he saith unto the man which had the withered hand stand forth and he saith unto them is it lawful to do good on the sabbath days or to do evil so he's got all the priests and he's got all the scribes they're gathered around here's this man he brings into the midst of them that has a withered hand he definitely has a handicap he definitely is impaired and jesus asks is it lawful to do good on the sabbath day What are they going to say? No. What are they going to say? Let this man be. And so it says here, He saith unto them, Stand forth, and they held their peace. Verse 4, verse 5. And when he looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and immediately his hand was restored as the other. Notice what the Bible says, verse 6. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. So this is at the beginning of his ministry. His ministry lasted for three and a half years. And at the beginning of his ministry, he uh, uh, again, apparently the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, they immediately turned against him at the beginning. The tensions continued to rise all throughout his ministry. And they intensified when he cleansed the tables of the money changers in Mark chapter 11. So this is the reason why he did it. The Jews, when they brought a sacrifice to the temple, uh, part of the thing of the sacrifice was to raise the sacrifice, to raise the sacrifice, to care for the sacrifice, to make sure the sacrifice was of their own and that it was without blemish, And, and so that when they brought the sacrifice, they could identify with the sacrifice that it was their own, that it was without blemish, that it was the best they could bring to God, and then they would bring it to the priest for a burnt offering, for a trespass offering, for a sin offering, whatever. Whatever the offering was, and they could offer it to, a, to the Lord, acknowledging their sin and that they were repenting of it. But what the priests and the scribes had done is they had turned it into a business. They had set up a means, a way, for people to go to the temple and to get their own sacrifice at the temple. So the people didn't have to raise a sacrifice. The people didn't have to care for a sacrifice. The people didn't have to make sure that a sacrifice was without blemish and of their best. They would just bring some extra money and they would take that money. They would buy a sacrifice at the temple and there was no personal uh, dedication. There was no personal identification in that sacrifice. So Jesus comes in and turns it all on the ear. And so here's what it says in Mark chapter 11. And verse 15, they come to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast them out that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and of the seats of them that sold doves. So he shook it up. And would not suffer that any man should bring any vessel through the temple. And he taught them, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations a house of prayer? But you have made it a den of thieves and the scribes. And the chief priests heard it, and they sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him, because all the people were astonished at their, his doctrine. And the tensions and the seeds that led to betrayal were more, even more prominent, I don't know if you can imagine that, more prominent when Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead. Think about this with me. If you would describe it in our modern day vernacular, it was not one of those incidents where a person's vital signs temporarily cease and that person experiences coming to a great light and then tells people about it. Lazarus resurrected after being in the tomb for several days. From the priest's and the scribe's point of view, this was absolutely devastating. Anytime your witness is a resurrected corpse, you have a pretty good case as to the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. And here's what the Bible says in John chapter 11 and verse 45. It says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him, but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. So Jesus' fate is now sealed. Not only would men close to Jesus betray him, one of those men that were in his inner circle would betray him. Which brings me to a question, how do we respond, how do we respond when people betray us? How do we respond when people betray us? Now, as we look at the events of the betrayal over the next few weeks that lead to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we see, first of all, a meal of celebration. John chapter 12 and verse 1 says this, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which was, had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Now, Mark tells us that the house that they were meeting in belonged to a guy known as Simon the leper. Mark chapter 14 tells us that, who Jesus had healed during his ministry. Matthew records that the rest of the disciples were present at this occasion. Matthew chapter 26. So there were at least 17 people who gathered for this wonderful celebratory meal. And this meal was indeed a meal of celebration. It was truly a thank you Jesus dinner for Lazarus' resurrection... Everybody was happy what Jesus did for Lazarus, and they were also happy, Simon was happy, to host because of the fact that he was no longer a leper, and and Jesus had truly healed him. It was a time of great joy, but it was also a demonstration of bravery. For Simon knew the moment that he hosted Jesus in this meal with Lazarus in his house, he took a great risk upon him because now he would be on the most hated list of the priests and the scribes. But, but here, this dinner was given in Jesus's honor. And during the dinner, John records, verse two, that Martha served. Remember that name, Mary and Martha? Martha, why you cumber about with so much serving? Martha served, verse two tells us. Martha was right in her element. She was the guest in Simon the leper's house, but she was going to make sure that this meal was one to remember. No doubt she had prepared all night the night before, getting things ready, so at the earliest of dawn, when she fired up the oven, everything would be ready to go. And all day, the aroma of wonderful food drifted through the house of Simon. Nothing short of the best for Jesus. Martha no doubt had her her family's best recipes and she loved the response of her guests when they dipped their bread into the, the food that she had wonderfully prepared. Everybody was happy now, especially Martha. In the past, she wasn't always quite so happy. In fact, Luke tells us in chapter 10 that Martha had labored all day and all night to prepare a meal and was unhappy that her sister Mary was at the feet of Jesus instead of serving with her. So she brought the matter to Jesus and everything was a little bit embarrassing for her. At this dinner, though, things were different. Even though Mary, who had no doubt helped to serve for a bit, had wandered back to the feet of Jesus, Martha seemed to be at peace. What happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Circumstances had not changed. But Martha herself had changed. She had not mistaken what Jesus had said to her on the earlier occasion. He did not say that she was supposed to be like Mary. Jesus made it clear that there was nothing wrong with Mary in Luke chapter 10. And if she did become like Mary, nobody would have had anything to eat. They would have starved. So Jesus wasn't telling her to become like Mary. She understood that Jesus' insistence that Mary had chosen what is better did not mean that serving in the kitchen and the table was bad. She understood that Jesus was saying that her disheveled, her depressed, her unhappy attitude was separating her from him. And she knew that her service to Jesus could be worship if it was done. So she went about her business serving Jesus. Think about the meal. This meal must have been an overwhelming success. Good friends, good food, and good conversation. Can you imagine the conversation? Simon the leper or the the ex-leper? Lazarus who had been risen from the dead and of course Jesus himself and the 12 disciples? I can imagine Simon saying something like, You can't imagine what it was like for all the scabs to fall off my body you can't imagine what, what it was like to look at my arms and to look at my legs and to have them white leprous as snow and all of a sudden my flesh become pink and olive once again wow it was amazing my fingers grew back in place I reached up and there were my eyebrows and there was my nose man and no longer did I have to shout in the presence of people unclean 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 Woo, this is awesome Jesus come to my house. You're welcome in my house. Then Lazarus interrupted, saying, Simon, that was nothing. I mean, what Jesus did for you was great, but let me tell you what it's like for me, bro. I literally died. I was dead, like in the tomb, gone for four days. I went to paradise. And boy, I saw the big kahunas. I saw Abraham. And I saw Isaac. And I saw Jacob. And I saw Moses and David. And Elijah was still riding that chariot of fire. Man, it was something to see. But bro, you know what? The most amazing thing I saw was when Jesus got me out of that tomb. I looked and there was Simon Peter. His eyes were as big as tennis balls. His hand was over his heart. I thought he might be. Can you imagine the conversation? The meal must have been one tremendous celebration. And then we see Mary's gift to Jesus. As the meal winded down and everyone settled into enjoying their time, Mary left the room. And Mary, no doubt, had been influenced by an incident that happened to Jesus recorded in Luke chapter 7, where a lady took a a very precious vial of ointment and she poured it on his feet and she began to wash his feet as was recorded in Luke chapter 7. So Mary most likely had this incident in the back of her mind. She wanted to honor Jesus in the same way. She wanted Jesus to know how much she loved him and how grateful she was for him. This wasn't some spontaneous expression, but a planned opportunity for her to show her gratitude to Jesus and to be used to fulfill God's plan to prepare Jesus' body for burial. She knew this was a special occasion. So she left the room, and according to verse 3, she took a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, the Bible tells us, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with their hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Mary gave her most treasured possession. Literally, it was worth a year's wages in Jesus's day. Literally worth a year's wages. And notice the response that this worshipful act elicited. Verse four, then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Then he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my bearing has she kept this. For the poor always have you with you, but me you don't have always. So Mary was a selfless giving believer But Judas himself, Judas was a selfish, greedy materialist. To the heart that has never met God, worship seems impractical. It seems a wasteful pursuit. And Judas showed his true colors in this incident. In fact, the Bible indicates that he was a thief. He was a thief. He was literally skimming off the top of everything that people contributed to the ministry of Jesus Christ. He was literally a thief, the one that was supposed to be the steward of the group. He was holding the bag and he was stealing. He wasn't concerned for the poor. He was concerned for himself. And Mark tells us that Mary's display of devotion and sacrifice was so great that her story should be a memorial under. Here's what it says in Mark 14. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Whereas this is what Luke tells us about the incident, that about this time, Satan gets complete control of Judas. Luke chapter 22 and verse 3, it says, Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. Now as a result of this incident the seeds of betrayal are set in motion which brings me to my last point and then you'll be able to go home and go to Cracker Barrel or McDonald's you big spenders or wherever you go the motives of betrayal we see Judas's motive was money Judas's motive was money look at with me at Luke or excuse me John chapter 12 and verse 4 then saith one of his disciples Judas Iscariot Simon's son Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Then he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear witness of what was put therein. Again, caring for the poor was not the issue. Jesus cared for the poor all throughout his earthly ministry, and so should we. The issue was that Judas was upset that he didn't get a cut of what the ointment was worth. He didn't get his cut he didn't have his needs met in the process. Now Judas had developed a taste for the things of this world at the expense of Jesus and his ministry. Judas was looking for what Jesus could bring him and give him as opposed to how he could serve the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And many people are like that today even as Christians. They're not concerned about what they can do to serve people and to serve Jesus. They're concerned as to what they can solely get from people and even Jesus. So they serve alongside of Jesus when it's convenient, while their agenda is moving forward. But when things no longer serve their agenda, their attitude changes just like it did with Judas. Now Mark tells us this in Mark's gospel. And Judas Iscariot, being one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And they sought how he might conveniently betray him. The Bible tells us that Judas sold out for 30 pieces of silver. What many commentators, what many Bible scholars believe is everything that Jesus took in, Judas skimmed off the top 10%. How do we know that? Well, when the priest and the scribes asked Judas what he wanted to betray Jesus, immediately after Mary had broken the alabaster, her box, and poured the ointment on Jesus' feet and began to wash his feet with her hair, it was 300 pence that that ointment was worth. And Judas then goes into the presence of the priest and the scribes and says, okay, give me 30 pieces of silver. So we see Judas's motive was money the greatest betrayal in history was set in motion for a bit of cash. Secondly, we see the motives of the priests and the scribes. Now, they were several fold. Now, by the time Jesus came on the scene, the priests and the scribes had developed a wide power base. The Herods and the pilots of the world would basically allow the priests and the scribes to do whatever they wanted as long as the priests and the scribes allowed the Herods and the pilots to do whatever they wanted. So, when Jesus' ministry and fame grew, instead of searching out and trying to discover whether John's claims of Jesus or Jesus' claims of himself were true, they decided to put an end to him. And there were several reasons why they wanted that to happen. First of all, it was because of envy. Envy. They were jealous. They were jealous. Notice what John chapter 12 says. It says, much of the people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there at the house of Simon and that he came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believe on him. Now, Jesus had irrefutable proof in raising Lazarus from the dead that he was the Messiah. The Jews wanted to eliminate that proof by killing Lazarus. They didn't care that God had done a miracle and helped Lazarus and Lazarus' family and all the area of Bethany rejoice with them. They didn't care about that. They didn't care that Jesus could probably do something to help their nation. In fact, had the Jews at this time received Jesus as their Messiah, he would have set up his earthly kingdom there and then. But they rejected him because they were jealous of him. They were envious of him. You know, sometimes we have been betrayed because people have been jealous and people have been envious of us. And sometimes we betray out of jealousy. I'll show you a pictograph this morning. I didn't give it here earlier um, of what happens when we feel like we're offended sometimes. This is all the way from the beginning, Andy. Thank you. When someone offends us, we have one of two choices. We can tell people about it. The listeners begin to think less of our offender. They join us in speaking negatively about um, the offender. And then we've succeeded in ca- causing others to sin, creating division in relationships, making ourselves more upset by rehashing the details over and over, directly, knowingly, and willfully disobeying God's word by reacting according to our flesh, rather than submitting to the Spirit. Or, or, we can go directly to God in prayer. He listens to us and gives us a better perspective. We feel peace. The need to vent is gone. And we have honored God by valuing unity. But oftentimes, we allow that jealousy and that envy to get the best of us. And we go down this path over here on the left. They betrayed Jesus because of envy. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs about envy. It says, wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? Another reason they betrayed Jesus is because of pride. Pride. Again, the account in Mark chapter 11 tells us, in verse 18, and the scribes and the chief priests heard it and saw that how they might destroy him for they feared him because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. After he went into the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and tried to redirect them towards uh, godly, uh, uh, worshipful attitudes and to restore godly worship, they were upset. And you know the reason why they were upset? The, the biggest reason was their pride was hurt. Their pride was hurt their way of doing things was questioned and when their way of doing things which was not biblical which had no theological backing which was only motivated by the 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 personal gain of the priest and those that were involved in the Sanhedrin when that was corrected their pride was hurted, and they wanted to lash back they wanted to get back at Jesus they wanted to give him what they felt was given to them and then there's another reason they betrayed Jesus Power. Power. Notice what the Bible says after Lazarus is healed. It says, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we for this man doeth many miracles? If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come, and notice this statement, and take away both our place and our nation. Now, you can tell a lot in the response of people when they give a response. They weren't concerned about their nation because if had they been really concerned about their nation, they would have let Jesus alone. You know what they were concerned about? They were concerned about their place. They were concerned about the power, the stranglehold that they had upon the people. They were concerned about losing control of the Jewish people that lived during Jesus' day. They were concerned that they no longer would have people looking uh, up to them that they could look down upon. They were concerned about a loss of power. Jesus was amassing such a following that the priests and the scribes were afraid that they would lose the power and control that they had amassed over the years. They didn't care who Jesus was and they didn't care that the potential that he had to change their entire society, all they they cared about was no longer being in charge. And this struggle for power and control happens in business, it happens in community groups, and yes, it even happens in churches And when this happens, the concern is not what is best for the business, the group, or the church. It's the concern of losing power and control. Now, I close this morning. We've looked at the seeds of betrayal being sown between Judas, the priest, and the scribes, and even those closest to Jesus. And as I was reflecting upon this message and this truth, I came to the realization that we all have a little bit of Judas in us. Every one of us have a little bit of Judas in us. Think about this with me for just a moment. When something becomes more important than Jesus, for example, in the case of Judah, it was money. Money became more important. We put someone else or something else in the place that belongs only to Jesus. Now, uh, when church or the truth of the word of God or the advancement of the gospel no longer becomes a concern for us, we betray the values that we're supposed to have instilled in our lives as believers. And sometimes we stir up problems because of envy and pride or we want to hold on to power and God is not pleased with things. And then I want to ask you this question this morning in closing. How do we respond when we're betrayed. How do we respond when we feel like we're betrayed? I had the privilege of teaching the one of the 55 plus groups, uh, small groups here um, over the last uh, small group semester. And, and it was a joy to be able to gather together with these uh, wonderful saints and people that love Jesus and have loved him for many years and just a wonderful joy together we had a good time we closed off our our group uh, with a a potluck at my house here this past thursday and uh, had a good time together and uh, one of the brothers in the group uh, uh, reminded me of a story of of how when he was in the korean war he was struck by lightning and literally pronounced dead literally peter you still glow bro you still glow (laughs) And, and you correct me if I'm wrong Peter in telling the story he was pronounced dead they had put him in a body bag they had zipped it up but, but a, a corpsman probably came and, and, and he was checking to make sure all the bodies were, were as they were and really people were legitimately dead and he felt impelled to go to Peter for some reason and to make sure he was really as he was and then he was impelled to give him mouth to mouth and after he gave him mouth to mouth Peter you came back to life didn't you? So, can I, amen. Just so you know, he was a preacher too, so he might be telling a story. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, it was true, right, Peter? It was true. And so, Peter came back to life. Let me ask you something, Peter. When you were in that state, did you feel anything? Did you know anything? Did you sense anything? Did you want anything? Why? You were dead. Now, my best advice to you that have been betrayed is to die to the betrayal. Die to it. Don't rehash it. Don't relive it. Don't reconstitute it in your mind, in your memories, in your thoughts. Die to it. Because when you're dead, you don't sense anything. When you're dead, you don't feel anything. When you're dead, you don't know anything. When you're dead, you're dead. But you know what? Many of us, we live with that betrayal. We live with that wrong against us and we continue to ruminate on it. We continue to feed on it. We continue to, to bring it up when we don't, we don't uh, want to feel good about ourselves. We want to bring up how somebody wronged us and it becomes like a badge of honor in our lives. Die to it. Die to it. Here's what the Bible says of Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 24, it says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, speaking of Jesus. And then it turns to us what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. When Jesus died and was buried and rose, he made it possible for us to die and be buried and to be risen, something new. If you've never received Jesus' payment on your own, as your own, you need to. But here's what it goes on to say: that we being dead to sins. Should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. When you die to something, then you can live to something. But until you die, you can't live the right way. Until you die, you can't be healed from that hurt. And so my best advice to you that have been betrayed this morning, I'll give you a bit of advice over the next few weeks as we deal with the subject of betrayal. My best advice today is to die. To die to that hurt, to die to that wrong, to die to that betrayal.